Revelation, the book of the Revelation, chapter number 19. Revelation, chapter number 19. In our series on things to come, we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Last week, we looked at the judgment seat of Christ, and we learned that following the rapture, the saints in eternity in heaven with God, uh, we have the judgment seat of Christ, and we all will give an accounting of ourselves. But following the judgment seat is the marriage. When the bride now has uh, received, you and I, saved believers, uh, we've received rewards, we are wrapped in robes of righteousness, we're presentable to our groom, and there is the marriage, followed by the uh, wedding feast. So notice Revelation chapter 19. We'll read the first few verses here. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Now chapters 5 through 18 are the tribulation period, actually chapter 6. The bulk of the book of the Revelation is for those seven years of the tribulation. That's what's going on on earth. While the saints, the saved, are in heaven. So that's, we've come to the end of the tribulation and the dismantling of false religion, the overthrow of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, Revelation chapter 17, uh, the, the harlot that is presented there. And so now it, it's, it, there's a scene change here. Verse two, for true and righteous are his judgments for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and 20 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Notice verses 7, 8, and 9, or down through verse 10. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this marriage supper of the lamb 
won't let me push on it, so I'll push it down this way and try and keep up. As we get into it, there are three aspects to a Hebrew wedding that are portrayed in what we're going to discover tonight. First of all is the betrothal. Our modern word is English, but a betrothal was more permanent than engagement. You know, when I was in Bible college, uh, there were some guys, they got engaged to three or four different girls. It was a recycled ring, uh, you know. Uh, finally, word spread and the girls were a little bit wary of him. But, uh, you know, he was desperate to find that wife. Uh, but betrothal was far more permanent. We see that played out uh, in the relationship between uh, Joseph and Mary in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, because a betrothal period was a time for personal proving, but it was a time for preparation, not for the wedding primarily, but preparation for the marriage. You know, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things that has always amazed me, how much effort goes into a wedding that lasts 45 minutes and how little preparation is made for a marriage, which is to last a lifetime. Now, I'm not minimizing the, the wedding ceremony, by the way. I'm just saying, you know, you, you need to invest in that which is to last. So that was the first part. The second part was the actual wedding itself. And it was a big parade. The groom would go from his father's house with all of his friends and sort of the image of the, you know, the attendants and so on. They would go to the bride's house and they would uh, take the bride and then they would go to the place of the wedding. Following the wedding, then there was the wedding feast, or the marriage feast. And uh, those of you who have marriageable age kids will be glad to know you, uh, glad you don't live back then because that feast normally lasted three to seven days. And you were responsible for all the food and all the wine and all the party. It was all, your, uh, it was all on your tab. And uh, so the wedding feast uh, was a testimony to the wealth of the groom's family and uh, how they would set up uh, the young couple. Well, all three are seen uh, in this relationship between Christ, the bridegroom, and his church the bride. In fact, uh, if you were to be attentive and look in scripture, you would find numerous times where Christ makes these analogies. I'll share with you too. Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and then shall they fast. And that is given in all the synoptic gospels and it's in Mark 2, Luke chapter 5. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist said, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So we see this analogy where Christ identifies himself as the bridegroom and those who are uh, saved, those who have been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ are the bride. So 
let's walk through this a little bit. Uh, there, I'm sorry, the print is so small here, that's why I try to have it up. So Jesus is the bridegroom, those are the references. The church, or born-again believers, not the church institutionally, not the church organizationally, but the church organically. The church is the called out assembly of believers. The church is the bride. So here's several things. Number one, notice that there's a time of anticipation, just like a wedding, you know? Uh, as I meet with a young couple, as you get closer and closer to the wedding day, you can sense that anticipation, that excitement, and that fear all settling in on their hearts. And, and for you and I who know the Lord as our personal Savior, we're to be looking forward to this day when Christ comes. Here in our text, in chapter 19, verse 7, it says that the wife hath made herself ready. And we're to be living in light of that day. We are to be making ourselves ready in this process of being purified by the washing of water, by the word, as Ephesians 5 talks about. So what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, there is the fact of a betrothal. There was a point in time when this relationship began. And that point in time was when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In this present age, the church is in anticipation of her groom coming for her, which means our loyalties are to be for him. Our love is to be only for him. We are set apart from this world and we are separated unto him. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So if you're saved today, you have a relationship with Christ that is to trump all other relationships. It is to be the focus and the anticipation of when you can be with him forever. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You know, there's some churches, some religious organizations that are trying to bring people back under the mandates of the law where Romans teaches us, no, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but we're not under the law. We are married to Christ. We're not in bondage to dogma. We are in loyal love with our Savior. So there is the fact of the betrothal. Then there is the time of the marriage. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says, after these things. So it's talking about the events going on in the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ. There is a wedding that will take place for when the bride appears, she does so, verse number 8 says, in fine linen, that is the righteousness of the saints. So that judgment is passed. 
The wood, hay, and stubble is consumed. The gold, silver, and precious stone has been uh, dispensed and all the crowns have been laid at the Savior's feet. So after the events of Revelation 17 and 18 and the closeout of the tribulation time, uh, the religious system of Babylon is destroyed. The political systems are gone. And so the marriage is taking place near the end of their tribulation. The place, we would assume, though it's not put forth in clarity, but we would assume because of the imagery of it all, it would be in heaven, in heaven. And Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 9 talks about verse 11, and I saw heaven opened uh, because that's the next event right after the marriage coming down to the earth and the Lord's going to establish his kingdom. So there is the fact, but there's also preparation. Anybody who's had somebody in your family get married or a near friend get married, there's a lot of work that goes into a wedding ceremony. From decorations to food to clothes to all kinds of stuff that goes into it. Well, as we are the bride of Christ, we're to be making preparation for the day. We want to be in the best shape we can be when we stand before the Lord. So obviously there's an implication to the sanctification process that we've been studying in the auditorium Bible class for the last several months. And Ephesians 5 talks about the work of the word of God in our lives to cleanse, that there not be a spot or a wrinkle, that we be acceptable for our groom. But there's also the transformation that takes place when, when he comes for us. There's a transformation from the corruptible to the incorruptible. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. Uh, also, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself himself. So there's a sanctification process going on now. There is the transformation that will take place in the, in the blink of an eye. First Corinthians 15 talks about, but there also is the beatification or the beautification, a better way to pronounce it, the beautification that will be a result of the judgment seat. Because following the judgment seat, verses uh, eight, seven and eight talk about the fine linen, the white linen, the fine linen that is the righteousness of the saints will be totally ready to be taken by our bridegroom. I don't think I gave you these slides. I'm sorry. I do this when I'm teaching classes too. I just take off teaching. I forget to give them the slides. So there they are. If you want to jot them down, I'll give you a moment to do that. But the point is this, as we look forward to that day, you know, what, what, what do many couples do? They, they start a countdown, 150 days. 
I, I like to get the groom because they never remember. But the bride always knows, you know. Sometimes they'll use little mechanisms to do that. They'll start with the 150th Psalm and the 149th Psalm and, you know, all kinds of creative things they do. I guess there's apps on your phone for, for the techie. But the point is they're, they're focused on a day. And I'm afraid that most of us, oh yeah, that's coming sometime. And we rarely think about it. We rarely think about it. So it's preparation. All right. Then there is the revelation of the marriage. Notice verse eight once again. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. There's a revelation of the work of Christ in us. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness that we have in Christ. And he is, there's going to be a revealing day. You know, the brides keep their gown. They don't want anybody to see that wedding dress until the day. And we often, you know, spring open those back doors and she steps in. The revelation of, of her appearance on that day. And she's done so much work to make, it, uh, make herself as beautiful as she possibly can be. Well, that's what she's able to do. But you and I, we're going to be made beautiful because of Christ. And what a wonderful thing that will be. And not only that, the Bible talks about how in chapter 20 and verse 6, uh, as being the bride of Christ, now we come to earth and we have a function in his kingdom and we are able to serve him in his kingdom. But the bottom line is all, all preeminence, all glory is to go to Jesus. All preeminence. Second Thessalonians chapter number one, verse 10 says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not drawing attention to the bride. It's drawing attention to the bride's groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that makes the difference. Then we see the exaltation in marriage. Now, in a, in a Hebrew wedding, there would be two parts to, uh, that took place in the, in the wedding itself. As I said, the groom would go to the bride's home in parade and would uh, would receive his bride unto himself and then uh, they would go to the home that he's prepared whether it was it on its own or it was a room built on to his father's home he would take her back to that home that he's been preparing and building furniture and so on and they would begin their life together as husband and wife well you see the picture uh, as we he goes to the 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 bride's father's house, heaven, receives us and then we go to earth where Christ's kingdom will be established for the next 1,000 years. What a wonderful imagery for us. 
Now somebody, I was, I was doing quite a bit of reading. I have several resources that I was reading. And one raised a hypothetical question. I wonder who's going to be at the wedding. Can you imagine preparing for that feast? I had to drive one of the girls to the airport before Thanksgiving. Her brother was getting married out west. And so she got permission because the college president is a kind man and let her out a day early. But I had to take uh, somebody along with. So Cameron went along. And so she was asking, Cameron, how many are coming to your wedding? You guys don't care. I don't know. 100, 150. We'll find out. That's sort of a guy's attitude, you know, whatever. But I'd never really thought about who was going to be at this wedding. Who's going to be there? Well, the Old Testament saints are not part of the bride. But don't you think they'll be there cheering you on? What about the, those who get saved throughout the tribulation? There will be some of those. Don't you think? I don't know who all is going to be there. Maybe the angels, they can't participate. They'll be excited to see. I don't know who's going to be there. But it will be a glorious, glorious day. But what will be the result? What's the benefit to the bride? What, what really is the outcome of this? What, is, what does the Bible teach us about uh, the the benefit of the marriage to the church and to the bride. Well, the Bible says we will share in his name. Revelation 22, verse 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We'll bear his name. Now, I, I, I know there are some cultures in our world where that's not the case, where when a couple gets married... But traditionally in North America, uh, most uh, often the bride takes the groom's name. And uh, so we're going to take his name and his name will be permanently a part of us. We are called Christians today, but in that day we will be given his name in a formal way. But not only that, we'll share in his glory. There's no prenuptial agreements here where he protects his wealth because the Bible teaches actually that we shall appear with him in glory. Colossians chapter four, verse number two, uh, three, verse number four. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We get to share in that with Christ. Thirdly, we enter into the rights of our inheritance with Christ. The Bible teaches us that we are God's sons and we are joint heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. It's a change of figure from bride and bridegroom. Now it's a, a, a figure of a heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Romans 8, 17 reads, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also, uh, that we may be also glorified together. 
And lastly, we're heading into the millennial reign and the Bible says we'll reign with him as well. Revelation 3.21, but I'll read Revelation 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the glory of the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now the marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb is not a major uh, doctrinal uh, truth that is covered by a lot of books on prophecy. In fact, probably half of the books that I have in my library don't even deal with it at all or just make a side comment to it. But it is a reality and this is what is going on while the tribulation is taking place. I really believe that the marriage supper comes and, and you know, this is one of those we'll find out when it happens in the interlude between the tribulation and the establishment of his millennial reign. Uh, and, and because I believe it'll be on earth, but the marriage took place in heaven and so shall we ever be with the Lord is the key point. We, ha we have a permanent, unchanging, unbreakable relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our heavenly groom. What a day that will be. When my savior I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace and he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, what a day that will be. In, in your mind, imagine you've been at a wedding, the doors open, you watch the face of the groom light up as his bride comes to him they're joined together and they leave. What a picture of what Christ has prepared for us and we're to prepare for that day when we'll be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the truth of the word of God. We thank you for a challenge to be preparing, to be thinking, to make sure that our love is what it ought to be because it's what you deserve it to be. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Recently in our church family, an extended church family, we've, we've grieved with those who've grieved. And yet, Lord, we're thankful for the testimony of these who preceded us. And we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And we do look forward to being together again in eternity. I pray, Lord, that that wouldn't be just some hypothetical, wishful thinking. But that by your, the work of your spirit and your word, it would be as real to us as if we'd already experienced it. And we look forward to it with great anticipation. So drive your word deep into our hearts that we would love you and that we would live for you. That we'd prioritize our life in a manner that pleases you. And we'll praise you. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen.